three, two. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers who sit around drinking and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's peanut gallery of hosts include Chaz and Karen Brenchley, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 63, Interview with Jamie Lee Moyer. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Jamie, write, you write fantasy, science fiction, poetry, uh, and I saw in your, I, your bio that you herd cats and make tangible things. What tangible things do you make? Jewelry, paper flowers, quilts. These days, you know, cloth masks. <laughs> oh, good on you. There's, there's a lot of that going around. So thank you on behalf of everybody who receives them. Do you make, um, you have a particular fabric that you make your masks out of, or you just, you know, do you have a theme for your masks? I'm actually using up my stash of quilting fabric, which, oh. makes, a, which makes them very colorful and varied. Right now on my desk, I have some cut out that are cats and dogs and bones, and I have little fish swimming in the sea, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Oh, great. Wonderful. Thank you for making them. I feel like when the call went out for masks, it was like a million quilters in America rose to their feet. This is my moment. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) They did. They really did. So, you know, I'll never never get all the quilts I have fabric for made. So I'm putting it to good use. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's how we got a bunch of our masks, too. So we really appreciate the quilters out there. Yeah, so, it's a good deal. So, Jamie, and it's Jamie, not Jamie Lee, right? It's Jamie. Excellent. I was, I was noticing that your first novel, it said Delia's Shadow, published by Tor, won a literary award for fiction. How did you manage to get your first ever novel to win a literary award? What did, you know, did you ever write a novel before then? Or? I have written many novels. I've probably written 20 oh. and published five. There are novels sitting on my hard drive that I wrote and went, I'm not good enough to fix this, and went on and wrote another one. Um, That literary award was one of those, what the hell, let me do it things, because you entered the first 30 pages of your novel, and I had like 75 pages written, so I entered the first 30, and I won, and just about had a heart attack. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it, it came with a five thousand dollar grant that paid my Ooh. rent for a year. Wow! Yeah, okay. now it that's because you was, live in Columbus, Ohio, right? That's I did then. I do not okay. now. We're we're in, out here in the Bay Area. We're like that's two months' rent. What? <laughs> that's one month rent. One month's rent for some. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm not in the Bay Area anymore. But um, yeah, it was amazing. I won, and. It is a very, very genre novel, and Thurber House gave me their literary award, which blew me away. That's fantastic. What is Delia's Shadow about? Delia's Shadow is a ghost story murder mystery set in 1915 in San Francisco, and the city and the fog are as much of a character as any of the people. And um, the basic plot is... Delia has seen ghosts since she was a little girl, and it got worse and worse after the earthquake. 
and because the city is full of ghosts and dead people wandering around trying to resume their life. So she went to New York and she woke up one morning in New York and there was a ghost standing at the end of her bed. And it was a very solid, new-looking ghost. And it followed her everywhere. And it led her back home. So she came back home to figure out why this ghost was haunting her. And it led into this whole scenario of this serial killer that was killing in the city in like 1885, 30 years before, was back killing again. And she had to help solve the mystery. Oh, I'm cool. already trying to buy another window. You had me. You had me a serial killer with ghosts. It's, it's a fabulous good book. Um, I think I blurbed it for you, didn't I, Jamie? You did, I I'd... which I will love you eternally for that. Quite right. As you should. <laughs> so you Everyone t- should love him. Was it originally going to be a standalone, or did you – because I saw that you had a couple sequels by it, so – when you sat well, down, did you think it was one book, or did you halfway through say, no, nah, this is a bigger arc? No, it's one, I wrote it as one book, and then my agent at the time was like, give me a pitch for two more. And mm-hmm. I wrote one paragraph pitches for these books off the top of my head, and she sold them. Wow, then nice. I had to figure out what they were about, which seems to be the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like, Yes, I will make a program to do X, and then you go, huh, I wonder how I'm going to do that. So <laughs> I, I do understand. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's my, my, my favorite commission, um, I was talking to my editor um, and, and said, um, I want to write about a guy who wakes up in a hospital with amnesia um, and, and has to investigate his own life. Uh, to figure out what's been going on, because apparently he's left his girlfriend and um, he, he's left his wife, I think, and married and, and set up with a woman he can't ever remember meeting. And, and he's left his job and is hanging out with bad people and, and all this stuff, and he has to figure it all out. Um, and, and she said, Chess, that sounds great. Um, um, is there anything supernatural in it? And I said, um, um, no. And she said, oh. And I said, well, oh, well, wait, do you want something supernatural? And she said, yes. <laughs> um, and, and I said, um, 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 how do you feel about angels? And she said, I love angels. And I said, fallen angels? And she said, finest kind. <laughs> um, so that was it. You know, I, I, on the basis of that phone conversation, I got a commission. Um, and then I had to figure out how to put a fallen angel into this book about a man investigating his own life, which is very sort of gritty and realistic and stuff. And it was, it was huge fun. It was a good book. Thank you. So what's it called? Oh, it's called Dispossession. There you go. I think it's the first one of yours I read. Ah. No, no, no. I read your, your Daniel Fox books. This is the first Taz Brush I've ever read. Anyway. So, Sorry, so Jamie. It goes, Delia Shadow, a barricade in hell and against a brightening sky. Did you, did you leave your heroine there in San Francisco or did she travel with you? Oh, no, she was in San Francisco. I lived in the Bay Area like 30 years, and that's still home to me. You should but come I back. I can't afford to go back. I can't afford to. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only yeah. reason I'm not there. Um, I totally understand. No, I knew it very well. It was a place I loved, and I could picture every part of the city and the area in my head as I was writing it. So... You know, and I put Delia through hell, and three the, times, you brute. 
Yes, three times to boot. And the last book is my absolute favorite. <laughs> against it, a Brightening it really Sky? Is. Yes. Because I got to have so much fun with uh, missing Russian royals and oh, excellent. rewriting that entire little pocket of history. And well, there's, I think there's been an increase in a lot of historical fiction coming out because people are starting to say, you know, maybe we don't need a new Batman movie. Sorry, Batman. I love you so much. But, you know, let's look. History has so many interesting stories and ideas and tropes and themes. And I love that they're starting to get explored like this. Yeah, it's my favorite thing to do is take history and myth and stories that everyone knows and twist them into pretzels and make something new. That's what I was doing last night was writing a short story that stars um, Will Shakespeare and Puck and Anne Hathaway and other people in modern day America. And they're immortals and, you know, Puck is the lead actor and he's six foot tall with blonde hair like Danny Elfman. <laughs> he raises magic on stage every night and groupies gather outside the stage door and he has his pick every night <laughs> and you know things do not always go according to plan and yeah i'm having so much fun with that story i really am it makes me very happy excellent excellent that's the it's motivation like a lot of fun so you had then uh bright fall tell us about bright fall then that was that's not tour that's joe fletcher books right that's joe fletcher yes Somewhere a month before my third book came out with Tor, they decided they were done. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, they decided they were done, um, which we won't go into that story. It's very traumatic. But, um, yeah, I fired my agent in the middle of that there, which probably was one reason they got away with a lot. But oh. then, yeah, I found a new agent, total, total serendipity. A woman writer I met on the internet was doing nonfiction work on experiences of women writers and genre. So she was taking interviews and stories confidentially. So I told her my story and she was friends with an agent, not his client, his friend. And she told him about me and he says, have her email me which was the best thing that ever happened to me because Michael is probably the best agent in the world as far as I'm concerned. But what agency um, is he? Michael who? Give us details. Uh, Michael Carr. Michael Carr. And <clears throat> I can never pronounce the agency correctly. I think it's Veritas Literary Agency, and they're there in San Francisco. Nice. Yeah. So he contacted okay. Joe Fletcher and... We sold her Brightfall, which is, it picks up the Robin Hood legend about 12 years after the legend ends. Robin and Marion have been married. He abandons her when she's pregnant with their twins and goes mm -hmm. off and joins a monastery, which is, you know, I read all the child ballads and every legend I could find before I wrote this book. And everything in there is based on some of the oldest legends. But yet, every English boy 
who has written a review says I ruined his childhood because Robin Hood <laughs> Robin Hood is not the hero. I, I gotta warn well, you, Chaz and Karen over there. <laughs> well no, so Robin Hood is also I have written some Robin Hood stories that I have not quite finished or managed to sell, but it, because I've been other reasons. And um but there uh I have read the child ballads and done a lot of research too. And I love Robin Hood, and I love the historical Robin Hood, too. And so, um, um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, reading these things, because uh, I have not. And I'm, I'm, I really, I applaud you. I think this is great. I think um, Robin Hood is not Errol Flynn. <laughs> um, no, know, he's, he's not. not. Well, yeah. he's not. Is he Sean Connery, though? No. No, he's no. never been Sean Connery. Yeah. No, Although no. that particular one, that particular, so when I was 10, I fell in love with Robin Hood because I read Howard Pyle's Robin, you know, Robin Hood. And the, the Sean Connery version actually did the end of the story beautifully. Um, they really did. A, it was a really good Robin Hood movie, if you like Robin Hood, but it wasn't a, an Errol Flynn. And, um, uh, and the other, the other thing was I, I was so annoyed when Robin Hood Men in Tights came out because I'm like, oh, that's silly. Everyone wants Robin Hood you know, to be gay because he wears tights. And then as an adult, for the first time, I reread Howard Pyle's um, Robin Hood. And yes, yes. So gay. So gay. And so was Howard Pyle. And he had all a group of men. young artist men who lived with him, all young men. So gay. So anyway, still not the real Robin Hood. All those no. merry men. No, but you know, I mean, I wanted a book about Marion, and Brightfall is about Marion, and how she got on with her life after Robin abandoned her, and she is actually the witch of Sherwood, and the, there's a oh. gar, there's a dragon in the center of the wood that is the guardian of Sherwood. He's one of the last dragons left, and there's. I have, you know, the the Fae are heavenly, heavily involved in this story, and I made up a lot of new stuff about them. So it was a fun book to write. I loved it. Excellent. Okay, that's next on my list. I'm, have not. Yeah, I want. Okay. I want it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Ex excellent. So we have that, and then you've moved forward to I'm I'm liking this thing towards strong women of history, Joan of Arc. Yes. Only I think of her as Janae. I gave her her name back. Good. Well, I'm 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 French. Je m'appelle Geneviève, so I think of her as Jeanne, Jeanne d'Arc. I know that I don't speak French. Okay. okay. I'm just going uh -huh. <laughs> to me. She's Janae because that's the phonetic phonetic spelling I saw. But I gave her her name back, and I gave her her agency, and I gave her a happy ending. Oh, good. Oh, yay. I rewrote the entire thing, and people either love it or they hate it. Well, yeah. And it was the hardest book I have ever written. The research on her life and what happened to her gave me nightmares. Oh, yeah. And it made me so mad. <laughs> so, me so what's the book called? Divine Heretic. But. Yeah. And that's out now, yes? Yes. It's been out five days. Oh, we will post a oh, link week. It got the best review I've gotten in my life from the Historical Novel Society. Oh, awesome. Review yeah, the reviewer said it was the best book they've read all year, which has never happened to me. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
it, it was a hard book, but it was worth it. Totally worth it. Excellent. So you 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 do I so Robin Hood and Joan of Arc. So how much? It sounds to me like you do a lot of research beforehand. Okay, I do. So when you do that, how much of how how hard do you try to keep to the actual? It sounds like you are like to rewrite. You like to know what you're doing and then rewrite, or what do you? How do you use what you, your research in the story that you want to tell? Use it in a couple of different ways. Um, I believe it or not, the 19, 1910s, which were only like a hundred years away from when I was writing the Delia books and stuff. They were a different world. Everything was different. The way people lived their lives was different. The clothes, the music, movies were barely there. The cars were totally different. So I absorb all that background stuff and use it to make the world feel real and make it the world the characters live in. Because my books are never really about the history. They're about the people. And this, the same thing was true with all the Robin Hood things I read. Um, I have a Pinterest board that's got like 15,000 history pictures on it and another one with novel research pictures because I'm one of those people that if I can see it, I can write it. Ah. So I do a lot of visual research too, clothing styles for different eras. Um, Researching Sherwood Forest was pictures of the trees and the pathways and the glens and all that, the flowers that bloom there, the birds, all of that. Um, And I I weave all that into the story because the history and the area are the background, but the people are the story. And that was If I can ask you a question of of in the process then, because you've you've said you get the, the picture of the surroundings and the setting and weave it in. When you write, are you thinking words, or are you thinking dialogue, or do you kind of see a movie in your head? I see a movie in my head. Mm-hmm. I do. I picture it all. And, you know, it, I see the people. I hear them talking. I see where they are. I see what they're doing. It, that's, I am a very, very visual writer, both in what I see when I'm writing and in the kind of research and stuff I do. So, so would you say that... The words that you use, I mean, the actual writing that you do, is just describing what you're seeing. A lot of it is. A whole lot of it is, especially with the setting and stuff. And, you know, there are method actors, and I'm like a method writer, because (laughs) I am so, seriously, Chaz, I am so deep into these people's heads that I'm living the story with them moment by moment, which is not always the most comfortable thing to be doing especially since my books are not you know merry little romps through the woods picking flowers <laughs> exactly so are you are you, you know, a, they're a pretty pen? dark are you a pantser then or a plotter i mean did you when you were sitting down and you did your research on joan of arc here did you say okay this is roughly the arc and i'm going to follow this or did you just say okay this is the setting and i'm off doing something else what um, my agent, Michael, has converted me into planning a lot more than I used to. Because when I first started writing, I would wing every single story and novel. And it sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And then I started writing story notes, which were this rambling, free-flow narrative where I was kind of telling the story to myself and getting an idea 
of the, who the characters were, their backgrounds, their personalities. And the book I'm writing now, which is Sword and Sorcery, because I'm done with historical for a while. Um, the Sword and Sorcery, I'm making actual outlines. Wow. Although I don't call them outlines, you know, because the story is so complicated that I had to make sure that I didn't get lost. It's the first time I've done three points of view. Oh, wow. Yeah, three points of view, all third person, total secondary world, totally made up, society, everything. And I, was, I got maybe 40, 35, 40,000 words in and was starting to get lost. Yeah. So I did this whole, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, list of different things and then I did another one where I took every chapter I'd already written and wrote down the major events for each chapter to make sure I wasn't repeating myself and I was trading emails with my beta reader today and she said it didn't at 55,000 words it didn't feel like I was halfway through and I told her oh. I'll be happy if I get done in 140 because it has that whole epic fantasy pacing yeah. and feel to it yeah um, don't yeah don't try and rush it it will it will build at its own pace but you know that yes um, but you let your beta readers at it while you're still in process I, yes, I have one beta reader. Okay. I have one yeah. because I can't, I can't find any others because I'm not just going to take anybody that, you know, I want somebody who knows sure. what they're doing and she's a writer too. And so, yes, she wants to read it and she's, she hasn't, she's published short stories. She hasn't published a novel yet. She's still in that kind of struggling with getting novels down in her head she has excellent ideas she's an excellent writer but you know she hasn't done the novel thing yet and she she makes helpful comments all the time and you know she's like my cheerleader she's like i love this story <laughs> which okay so I mean, do, you, do you give it to her sort of chapter by chapter or what in big chunks like you know well. Right. Four or five thousand words more. I just sent her a huge chunk, and she got back me today, and we had the discussion about you know length and epic yeah. fantasy basing. So um, yeah, she's very helpful. And if I if I'm not paying attention and I make the characters do something that's out of character, she calls me on it, and that's good. So yeah. What's, what's your so, favorite? So, so, uh, can, can I chase this down a bit? Because it's so alien to my own um, Go for method, it. method, work process. Um, um, so, so you send her a big chunk. She has comments to make. She makes her comments. Will you then go back and edit that chunk immediately? Sometimes. Not always. And, and, but I make notes of right. everything. And I have all her emails archived. Yeah. I can always go back and look at stuff. Yeah. But it's only... It's only certain things like, did you mean to leave this out here? And I'll look at it and go, no, actually, I didn't. And I'll go, and I'll go back and fix it. Or, you know, she's like, I'm kind of confused about who was doing this. And I'll look at it and go, oh, well, I forgot their name. So I put that in. So I don't make major changes till later, but I have notes of all of it. And I keep a whole bunch of it in my head. 
and I keep it in mind as I move forward. Yeah, I, I, there were some manuscripts when I when I first started, um, basically sort of heading out there without a map, writing with no kind of plan at all. Um, I'd get you know, I'd get halfway through a book, realize I'd made major mistakes earlier on, just just gone down totally wrong pathways, and then cheerfully assume pretend that I had not done that, and carry on as though. I had, in fact, written the right pathway and then go back and change it at the end of the first draft, um, which w- was fine for me because I had it all clear in my head, but made a very confusing first draft for anybody else I ever showed it to. Yeah, I can't, if I don't have the, the plot correct and going in the right direction to start with, I can't get anywhere with the I have so many novels on my hard drive that I started and got halfway through and said, I don't know what happens. So, and, you know, I would try and figure it out and it didn't work. But it was, you know, I've had this motto the entire time since I started writing that they're only words and I can always write more. <laughs> so I, I did. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, I, there's a few things I want to go back. I was going to say, I really liked how many. you talked about being a better writer to write the story that you wanted to write, like this complex. That is, that is something that I think resonates for a lot of people, thinking, I have this novel that I want, but I'm not there yet. So I guess the only path that you're illustrating for us is just, just keep writing. Just keep writing through, push through, finish the novel, start the next one. It's, yes, that's it. There, there's a science fiction book that I started, the only science fiction novel I have ever really started, that I'm going back to soon because I think I'm good enough to write it now. <clears throat> it's called Nirvana. Nirvana is a generation ship that's been out there for 400 years, ne- hasn't found the planet it was aiming at, and it's being torn apart by race riots. And well, it's That's a thinly veiled reference, if ever there was one. Yeah. I started this novel 10 years ago. I got 10,000 words in and said, I'm not good enough for this yet. And I have kept that aside. And, but it is all of, I was in a face-to-face critique group when I started this. And I gave them the first few chapters. And one of the members looked at me and said, you write a lot about class and gender and power. And I looked at him and said, yes. <laughs> Like, I, I do. Yeah. The, so, the world is remarkably you know, I, about that for everybody that kind of okay. isn't in charge. Yeah. Yes. Well, I grew up in a very, very poor family. And from, from the time I was 7 to 14, we lived in a housing project in L.A. Wow. Actually in Compton. Oh. It was on the corner. Yeah, it was on the corner of Compton Boulevard and wherever this was. And the housing project had been built as military housing in the wow. Second World War. So, and it was, it was right at the end, you know, the Equal Housing Act had been passed but wasn't being enforced. So it was pretty segregated. But the grade school I went to was 98% black and 2% white, Hispanic, and other. And my three siblings and I were a big part of that yeah. 2%. So I don't see the world the way a lot of people do because that's not how I grew up. I fake middle class really well, but I'm not. We're, we're near. I grew up in uh, so, California too, the Belinda La Mirada area for some of that. So I represented for being a minority. Yeah. 
Wow. And what are you working on next? Yes, well, I'm, I'm working on the Sword and Sorcery novel. Mm -hmm. I'm going to finish revising this short story because I finished it at 2 a.m. last night and looked at it and went, no, this isn't ready for anything. <laughs> so I've been tweaking that all day. I'm going to finish that, get a couple of pen. I have a short story crit group on Facebook. They're going to shred that for me. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I'm going to go. What tools do you I'm, use? Are you just a, are you a Scrivener girl or are you a just notebook and paper or do you a little bit of Word? All of Word. I mean, my story notes are a separate file with the novel file in Word. I have some paper notebooks that will scribble in. I'm a, you know, as I'm writing, you know, remember this, you know, change that name, things like that. But Scrivener seems like a toy to me. <laughs> it seems like a way to procrastinate, so I don't. Yeah. And, you know, I just write, which... Yeah. I have this great idea for an episode. We're going to have to have you back to do it. Uh, you, yeah. you take your little notebook that you keep with you, and we're going to go around and have everybody read one by one a line from their idea notebook. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> That's hilarious. A good idea. That's a good idea. By the way, I, I, want, um, I want to make you jealous, Jamie. Um, I've been to Sherwood Forest and Nottingham Castle. Oh, was, yes, I'm jealous. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I spent... Uh, so the Sherwood Forest is way away from the train station, so I the way there and back was, was expensive and long. But I got to spend hours walking around in the forest and 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 looking at you know the older. They've got the oldest tree in the world that they claim was Robin Hood's tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just it was magical. And then um, later, uh, when I, I like a, a many months later, I went to I went to visit Chaz and we. Um, ended up in Nottingham, and I said, I must go to the castle, and Chaz came with me, and I have a wonderful picture of me and Chaz in, next to the Robin Hood statue, which is just... It is the ugliest statue on the planet. Oh, it really is, and so I'm there. Yes, I've seen the pictures. Chaz is, and Chaz is trying to pretend he's not in the picture. And, <laughs> but, but I am invisible. You will never see me. But the, the, they actually had some historic, very interesting historical things about Nottingham, including things like the caves underneath and that kind of stuff. So they, I was looking for history. It was mostly aimed at kids, but I was looking at some history stuff, and that was very cool. So if you get a chance, um, and we have tons of friends there, and you probably do too, you don't have to worry about hotel costs. So, <laughs> now, I have a really good friend in Yorkshire province, and you know she lives in Harrogate. Province? Yes. So, what? I'm sorry. She's my planned English, to take. Any Englishness is emerging. She has promised to take me to all the stone circles that you know aren't tourist traps up by Harrogate, and you know show me many things, and it's on my yeah. bucket list. So I'm actually. So when I was a teenager, my mom took. My mom and I went to England. We'd saved for a couple of years. We went to England. And I insisted that we could be at Stonehenge on the 21st, and we did. Um, but we didn't. We weren't there at dawn, and that was a wise thing. And then you could actually walk in and you know touch the stones and stuff. And that was such a disappointment because there were all these you know half-naked hippies running around, being you know pretending to be th who knows. And the stones were smaller than <laughs> I thought they would be. 
I'm sorry yeah. our company doesn't live up to your imagination. So I want to go see a bunch of, I want to do the same thing. I want to do a, go around and see some of the other stone circles. And I want to like go that. around as a happy hippie and annoy Karen because that would be awesome. Oh, that would be, I mean, it, I don't care. I live in I live in the Bay Area. I can see half-naked hippies anytime I want to. Yeah, just exactly. go to Santa Cruz. That's true. Exactly. Um, but, but right. yeah, there's... Yeah, I've got one more question yeah. for, for, for Jamie, if you don't mind. I mean, I noticed on your website that you're starting to offer editing services, and that's fantastic. So what is your advice to would-be bestsellers? I mean, people who are out there writing, scribbling away. Write the stories that mean the most to you. And don't worry about what other people think. Just write your own story and keep writing. Don't give up. You know, I stole Galaxy Quest motto a long time ago. You know, never, never get give up, up, give up, never, never surrender. surrender. That's and that's, you know, that's the way I've done it. Uh, it has not been easy for me to write. Because is it my easier? Soul, is it almost getting harder now that you know what you're doing? Um, technically, it's harder because I do know what I'm doing. And I'll write a sentence and I'll go, wait, that's crap. Yep. <laughs> and I'll go back and I'll fix it. So, you know, I am not the world's fastest writer unless I'm on a deadline and then I'm, I'm much faster. are stunningly inspirational. Yes, they are. Especially when you're late. <laughs> Alright. We will put links to all of Jamie's stories and the new books and your upcoming novel. Again, that is called Divine Heretic. It's the one that came out five days ago. I will put a link to the Amazon version of it and uh, Anybody, I would encourage everybody to run out and buy it right away because historical fiction, especially about Joan of Arc, is the best. And all yeah. of these things, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's historical fantasy. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite lines in the Historical Novel Society review was how Janae's voices were like the old fae. <laughs> yeah. An unstoppable force, which is pretty much the way I wanted them to be. So that made me happy. Well, we'll put all on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We will also put up Jamie's up there. We answer email. If our readers have questions for you, do you mind answering their email? I will answer any email, yes. Fantastic. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is Dave Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our post- podcast sponsor is Eternally Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag. And thanks for listening.